Insights Audio Abstract. I'm your host, Tracy Peek. For most of us, sanitation isn't something we need to think about. We can just flush our problems away, literally. But globally, that isn't always the case. We're speaking today with Francis de los Reyes, Professor of Civil, Construction, and Environmental Engineering here at NC State, about the challenges of dealing with poop and what access to sanitation means for developing nations. Welcome, Francis. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm glad you're here, too. Um, This is kind of a weird topic, but an important (laughs) one, right? And not one that we think about here. Right. Because it's not a big deal. So let's get started with what happens in a developed nation like the U.S. where we go to the bathroom, we flush the toilet. Right. Then what happens to all yes. that stuff? Yeah. So, so like you said, most people don't think about it, right? And uh, we all have to go, and we all have to poop and to pee. And so we go to a toilet, and we do our business, and then we flush. And then in most cases, if you live in, in the city or in the suburbs, you're connected to a centralized system. The system starts from the home. So when you flush, that water actually goes out uh, to pipes. Uh, that meet up with other pipes from other houses. And so these are the sewer lines. And there may be miles and miles of these sewer lines, and they get bigger and bigger as they get more and more waste from more and more people. And then typically, they would end up in a large wastewater treatment plant. And that in, that, in that wastewater treatment plant, you're gonna have the um, engineered systems. These are physical, chemical, and biological treatment systems that actually take care of the waste, eat the waste. And the heart of this is really a biological system. Microorganisms eat the waste and clean it up until we can actually um, dispose of the water into a receiving body of water, like a river or a lake. So believe it or not, it actually goes back to a, a river or a lake, which many people don't realize can be the drinking water source for some other downstream communities. So for example, in, in um, uh, Apex, uh, the drinking water comes from Jordan Lake, uh, which you know is a big body of water. Um, but uh, parts of Durham, South Durham, the wastewater treatment plant there actually discharges its wastewater, its treated wastewater, to Jordan Lake. So it's kind of like a, a cycle, right? Uh, right. Yeah. And you really want to be at the at the top of the water source. Well, I guess. <laughs> it's a circle. So right. There right. No, there should be no uh, top or bottom. Uh, and and the reason why we have this wastewater treatment plants. And then also water treatment plants that then take that water and clean it before it's sending it out for drinking um, is that we protect the environment and we protect public health because it's all the same water. Now, if you that's if you are in a city or in a suburb where you're connected to a centralized sewer system. But if you are in the, in a rural area um, and the houses are far apart, then the sewer lines are too long and too expensive. And so we have septic tanks. And so in your backyard, you might have a tank. And again, it goes through the same kind of like biological processes. And then the overflow, the water goes to a leach field, which is a series of pipes buried under the ground, which basically distributes that water into the soil. And then the soil microorganisms take care of the waste and then filter out and clean up the organics that are associated with the wastewater. So that's what happens in the U.S. generally, right? So you have these two systems. You have a variety of systems in between, smaller package plants. uh, uh, But in general, you can say, you know, about half of the people in the U.S. uh, or a little bit more than half have centralized systems, and then the rest actually are in septic tanks. 
Okay, so that's good to know because then we can compare that with a lot of places in the developing world that do not have these large sewage systems. Right. And so what, you know, what are the challenges facing the developing developing world in terms of sanitation? Um, how many people don't have access to indoor plumbing? Yeah, so in many ways what you described is right in that uh, many of these uh, low and medium income countries are, are really maybe 50 years, maybe even, you know, 100 years behind in terms of the technologies and, and the access. Um, in a lot of these countries, uh, we don't have a lot of people covered by the centralized systems. You know, if you go to any um, major city, maybe 20% of the population would be connected to the sewer lines and, and centralized treatment. And then sometimes these treatment plants don't really work as well. So in fact, it's really not um, treated well to the extent that we would like it to be treated. So. There's actually a project called uh, the the SFDs, uh, the shit flow diagrams. Uh, and <laughs> That's you can, hilarious. You, you can Google this. Yes. And what they do is they do a what's called a mass balance of all of the fecal material, all the poop generated in the city, and where it all goes. So you can kind of like see a you know a basically from going from left to right a a mass balance of we generate all this waste and some portion of that goes here some portion of that goes there and in many cities um, you know maybe 90 80 percent of all the fecal material actually ends up in the environment not treated so you can imagine um, in the cities um, again there's a lack of of facilities a lack of treatment technologies. Um, and so you, you you know an example might be um, pit latrines, right? So we talked about the flush toilet. Right. Basically, the flush toilet we're using water to convey the waste. Now, in many countries, we don't do that. Uh, we have maybe a dry toilet or a composting toilet. Um, so imagine a hole in the ground, and then you put a um, concrete slab, and then you you know put your bowl, um, mm -hmm. and then basically your fecal material just goes to the you know to the ground below ground. And then when that's full, that's emptied and transported. Uh, How is that empty? <laughs> well, so it's a, <laughs> so we're talking about um, uh, a chain, really, right? So I know people talk about the toilet, but really that toilet is just the first step. So you have the toilet, and then you have a way of containing it, a way of transporting it to a treatment facility, treating it, and then disposing of the liquid or the solid. Now, again, in the U.S. and developed countries, all of that is hidden because it's all sewer lines and treatment plants, right? Um, and, and if it's a septic tank, it's contained in the septic tank, and then the water flows out, and then maybe five, ten years later, when your septic tank is full of solids, you get a service to pump it out. Now, in many countries that are, you know, in these low- and medium-income countries, these pit latrines, maybe every two years, maybe, maybe every five years, every five years, they have to be emptied and um, they're not emptied um, uh, with vacuum trucks and fancy equipment. Sometimes they, they are emptied manually. Uh, you do have manual um, pit emptiers that sometimes have to go in there and do it, you know, hand over hand, bucket by bucket. Uh, that's one way you can see that, you know, the whole chain is broken. Yes. Um, and then when they do transport it, there is sometimes, well, often, there's no waste treatment facility, and so they end up dumping it into a river. Oh. Um, 
and sometimes they just leave it there and cover it up and then dig another hole and and so all of that means it's not really properly treated and that's why you get this statistic that I said was 80 to 90 percent actually goes to the environment untreated which so, of course yeah. has a lot of knock-on effects with disease and other Correct. stuff right Correct. you can't live in your own waste that's right and so when we talk about sanitation we really are talking about um, separating people from their wastes to protect public health um, and we also want to protect the environment. So they're, they're tightly interlinked, right? We want to keep our, our waters clean so people can use it for drinking, for bathing, for recreation. Uh, in, in a lot of the cities, you know, people who have traveled overseas, you can see the, you know, the, the city rivers are usually you know, black. Oh. They're not flowing, they're smelly, and, and those are all signs that it's polluted. And it's because of, again, a lot of the wastewater uh, from both domestic and industrial, from industries, are not treated well before they're discharged. So, <clears throat> so that is an issue. Yeah. So I know that a lot of what you and your lab works on is solutions to some of right. these basic problems. So can you tell us a little bit, you know, about what you have worked on to sort of help with poop management right. in yeah. some of these developing nations? Yeah, yeah. So. So we've looked at it, again, as a system and this chain of things that all have to happen, right? We feel like most people think about the toilet and then and then that's it, right? Yeah, like provide people with toilets and then the problem solved. It's really not that, right? There's a whole chain, again, of collection, transport, treatment that all has to happen. And all of these things have to work. Um, and so if... You know, stepping back, if you think about why it doesn't really work in, in in a lot of these countries, there are actually a variety of reasons. Um, the first one is that the uh, what we call the enabling environment, which is this universe of of laws, so regulations and rules and policies and implementation. These are not strong enough in some of these countries. Um, in other words, they don't have the equivalent of, for example, an EPA that says, you know, these are the standards and we got to do this. Um, and maybe sometimes they might have the laws in the books, but it's really not implementable or there's really no way to enforce it, right? And that has to do with a lot of different things, um, incentives and, and costs. And and you know corruption and weakness of the institutions basically, um, so that's one thing, right? Okay. The second thing is technologies. Uh, we know that the technologies that we have here in in developed countries may not be applicable to all of these other situations, right? They may not have water to to for flushing and you know. Um, their soils might not be right for a septic tank, for example. Um, there are concerns about costs and there are concerns about culture. So all of these things all add up so that it's not a one-size-fits-all and there's not one single technology solution that, will, that can be used, right? So, and then the third thing is that uh, we need to make sure that it all is, um, it makes sense economically and financially. Um, somebody's got to carry the burden financially for these things, like any infrastructure. Right, we couldn't just swoop in there, install a bunch of like 
right. sewer lines. Exactly. And then if they don't have the money or the resources to keep it running after you're gone, you've just thrown that money exactly. literally down the toilet. Right, right. Okay. And, and it's part of infrastructure, right? right? So it's like like roads or hospitals. And then um, who's going to pay for that? And then, and then given the limited resources, sometimes sanitation is... It's hidden. It's a. It's an afterthought. Um, you know, uh, between drinking water, for example, and toilets and sewer lines. Um, I think drinking water, and rightly so, right, is the yeah. priority. But uh, or between, let's say, opening up a new bridge or a fancy highway. You know, if I'm a politician in that country, that's more visible, right? Right. Nobody wants to talk about toilets and wastewater treatment plants. So, so that's an issue. And then finally, there are cultural things that we have to think about. Um, so education is one issue. Um, you know, um, we here in the U.S. we are uh, flushers, uh, and and we are wipers, and we are sitters. Right? That's typically, you know, you know what I mean. Yes, we know. <laughs> but in some countries, they are, they are squatters. So they squat. They don't sit. You know, the 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 hole is flush to the ground. Uh, they may be washers. They use water for anal cleansing. Um, and so that changes a lot of the technologies that we can use. So context matters, right? So culture and context, wherever people are, we have to have a different solution. It's a very complicated problem, right? It's not like you could just walk in and be like, here is the solution to all of your problems. Right, right. And that's what we have sort of tried to avoid um, right. as engineers and saying, okay, here, here it is. But also we're engineers, and so we start with, okay, what can we do with technologies that we think will apply in these contexts? So, for example, we've developed this technology, um, which is um, um, a way of um, taking the fecal material out of a pit latrine without the operator having to go down there and doing it manually. That's great. Yeah, so it's a technology that's been uh, developed over 10 years with the Gates Foundation, and uh, you know we've traveled to different places to test it out. And it's out there, um, and some some groups are using it, but it um, it really doesn't have a huge market. Right. Um, again, because of another, you know, a whole set of of issues with funding and and um, finding partners who can take it to scale and commercialize it. It's right. it's not a huge money making area. Right. Right, but I bet it's great for those people who would otherwise have to go and clean right, those latrines right. by hand. Yeah. Holy cow! So, so we look at that, and then on the other end, we also look at treatment technologies. Like, mm -hmm. what what can we do now with the fecal waste? So, there's the emptying part. Uh, we we th think about you know how do we treat this with biological processes, for example, anaerobic digestion, so we can create energy out of it, like biogas that can be used. So, resource recovery. Uh, we, we, we work on that, uh, both on the wastewater side as well as on fecal sludge. And then on the transport side, we think about risks. You know, what are the, the risks when you're emptying and you're transporting? What's the exposure to the pit emptiers, to the community, um, you know, to the workers? So that's all kind of like looking at it from the different portions of the sanitation chain. Okay, so yeah. that leads me to another question because you're talking about all of these treatment options, you know, particularly for like for liquid waste, sure, but mainly for poop, for mm -hmm. the solid waste. Yeah. 
and we can't just import 80 billion dung beetles in here to handle it. <laughs> so, um, is there money to be made from poop? Um, the short answer is yes. Okay. There is money to be made. Um, again, the key is what would what what works in a particular context. Um, so depending on where you are, depending on uh, things like the market for fertilizers, for example, or the market for energy, and then the cost of collection, the labor force, and what people are willing to pay, and what regulations are in place. So all of these things have to come together. Uh, and if they all do come together, then yes, there's money to be made. So for example, pit emptiers, um, there are companies or small businesses, uh, local businesses, that actually thrive. And then they make money. It's, it's a living. Um, and then on the other side, there are um, NGOs, for example, that take that fecal material, convert that to energy, maybe fertilizer, maybe compost, maybe biogas, energy. Um, and there's some unique things, too. Like, uh, for example, there's something called the black soldier fly. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a fly, and it eats the waste, and then the larvae, you know, the larvae are actually high in protein. So they're collected, they're dried, and they're used as uh, animal feed. I have heard about this yeah. just recently. Okay. Yeah, the black soldier fly. They're like, yeah, we use black soldier fly larvae for protein. And I'm like, aren't those the flies that eat poop? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. So it's sort of adjacent to the dung beetle idea. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, and and there are you know um, vermicomposting is another one. You use worms mm-hmm. um, that actually create this high value compost that's ten times more expensive than um, you know the regular compost. And then you can bag it and sell it. So there are ways to make money out of it if you think of it not as waste but as a resource right. that, that you can convert to energy, you can convert to other things. Yeah. So that's sort of an educational barrier, I guess. If it's just easier and what you've always done is dump it in the river, you have to change a lot of minds. How, right, do you yeah. have any statistics on how many people or like a ballpark of how many people are probably affected adversely yeah. by these practices? Yeah. So um, the UN, the United Nations, um, tracks these numbers as part of the Sustainable Development Goals. So uh, one number is the number of people who don't have access to toilets in their house, so or basic service, right? And so that's about 1.92 billion people. So if you think about it, it's about one one-fourth almost, right? Uh, more than one-fourth of, of the people. And then another number is um, a larger number. These are all the people who don't actually have what we call safely managed services, meaning they might have a toilet at home, but then it actually just goes to their backyard or goes to a pit and it's not treated properly. Um, and that is a bigger number. That's about uh, 3.6 billion, so a little bit uh, less than half of all the people in the world. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's terrible. And then that's not to... You probably couldn't get like a one-to-one correlation on disease, could you? Or like how there, many people are dying of disease from... Well, yeah. I mean, you actually can. Uh, okay. And again, um, there's there are direct impacts and mm-hmm. then indirect impacts. Uh, so the direct impacts are, you know, infections, for example, right? Because of uh, these you know, fecal oral transmitted diseases. And then you have indirect impacts, 
um, for example, malnutrition, right? So the direct would be, you know, people will get sick, diarrhea, and all of that. And then you have the indirect impacts, um, you know, subsequent malnutrition or stunting of growth because, um, you know, their mothers were, you know, malnourished or, you know, exposed to these unsanitary conditions. Uh, or uh, kids who, who miss school because um, maybe they're young girls and they don't want to go to school when they have their, their menstrual period because there are no facilities at school. Um, you know, when you add it all up, sometimes it's, you know, uh, 2%, 3% of the GDP of a whole nation. You know, all of those economic impacts, medical costs, and so on. Um, what's interesting is, you know, we're talking about low and medium income countries. This is also actually an issue in the U.S. There are 2 million people in the U.S. who don't have access to, to basic, you know, uh, water and sanitation. And uh, an organization called Dig Deep uh, did a study last year, and they quantified the impact to the U.S. economy as about $8.6 billion per year. Wow. Uh, direct impacts, right, of, of these 2 million people who, who don't have access to water and, and basic sanitation. Um, so it's not just something that is happening in low- and medium-income countries. It's also happening in in the U.S., even though it's a small percentage of our population, you know, there are people left behind, communities that are underserved. Yeah. Well, it's amazing to me how something that, like I said, we don't even think about has such an amazing impact, like economically, in terms of health, like across the board. And this leads me to sort of my final question for you. Um, first of all, how did you get into poop? And secondly, you know, what is the most interesting thing or the coolest thing mm. that you've learned while doing this work? Yeah. Um, I was trained as an environmental engineer. But I'm originally from the Philippines. So I've seen, you know, underserved communities, uh, informal settlements, um, people who, you know, whose housing situation, um, and, and maybe basic water and sanitation uh, situation is, is not ideal. So when I was trained in the U.S. Um, in this big, giant wastewater treatment plants, right, and biological chemical processes, I always knew that this really does not apply to, you know, half of the world, right? I started with the traditional, I would say traditional, you know, wastewater treatment technologies. I, I did a lot of microbiology and biotechnology. And I wondered how can I apply that to to what I think is this problem that affects a lot of people around the world. Um, and so I kind of like went back to my roots, if you will, and uh, started thinking about this problem. Um, and so that's, that's how it really, really started. Um, which is interesting, I guess. I guess the uh, second part of your question is that when you get into it, you realize that the coolest thing is that you're not alone. There's there's a bunch of people uh, in the U.S., colleagues at different universities, uh, and all over the world. Maybe they're in NGOs. Maybe they're in, in government agencies, uh, research institutions all over the world. Uh, both in developed countries and in, in this low and medium income countries who, who are actually passionate about this issue and, and understand that it's it's a it's a great challenge but it's also 
a great injustice, right? Um, so that's the coolest thing is the people always are are always um, thinking and getting to think beyond um, beyond what they usually think about. Like you said, it's a hidden problem, and and I hope I hope we uh, continue trying to expose this issue and and challenge our young people to address this. Um, because it is it is complicated, yeah. So that's one of the coolest things, maybe. Yeah. Well, that is a cool thing, and yeah. it's interesting. You know, again, it's something you take for granted. So yeah. it's it's good to come back and think about these things that are hidden problems that have impacts far beyond just what do you do with your poop. Right. Um, <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> thank you so much for yeah. being here today, Francis. Well, this thank has you, been Tracy. Great. Yeah, I really appreciate the the chance to talk about something I'm passionate about. We've been speaking today with Francis De Los Reyes, Professor of Civil, Construction, and Environmental Engineering. This has been Audio Abstract. I'm your host, Tracy Peake. Thank you so much for listening.